I've seen Attack ships on fire on the shore of Iowa. I watched sea beams glittering in the dark ten hours a day. All those moments lost in time. Hi everyone, welcome to the Human Software Love Podcast. My name is Louise Campbell. I'm a digital design researcher, or UX researcher for short, and I'm privileged to have worked for some of the biggest and best technology teams and companies in the world, including Facebook. Human Software Love is a place where I share conversations and stories with my favorite people and colleagues in digital product and service design, user research, software engineering, product management, and growth marketing. We'll also take a look at the lives of the people I interview and learn how they got to the top of their careers and what inspired them in the early years. We dive into the top five digital moments, moments that shaped their careers. And finally, we ask, what would they take with them if they were selected to go on the first trip to Mars? My very special guest this week is Alexandra Jayung Lee. She's a UX researcher and creative director at the Civic Design Lab, a think tank whose HQ is in Oakland, California. She transitioned from architecture to user research over the last couple of years and was a star student on my persuasive portfolio program that helps ambitious creatives get the the jobs they want in user experience roles. She's the author of Resilience by Design, published by Springer, and she has a PhD in architecture from the University of Auckland. She has a background in humanitarian architecture and service design, and she's helped raise over $30 million for clients in the education sector by advocating for and implementing a human-centered design research process. Welcome, Alex. Always excited to talk to you. Alex is talking to us from New Zealand today, Um, so I just want to say a big thank you for making the time. You're welcome. Okay, Alex, can you tell me a little bit about your early years? What was it like growing up in the Alex household? Well, I think genetically, I've always been a designer. I ended up architecture in college, but my dad was a naval architect and my mom um, was a was an artist. And so between the two, uh, you know, the art and the engineering side, like, uh, both my sister and I ended up being an architect, and my sister still is kind of practicing architecture, whereas I have taken more of a, a sidetrack into other industries. I feel like I've never kind of lost sight of you know my passion, which is like an art and design, and using that in ways that help people. So yes, um, my my early like elementary like school report cards so would all say the same thing, which is that Alex likes to help others. Uh, somehow, like, I was always, like, the class artist, and um, 
and I was obsessed with like drawing and I would just get whatever piece of paper that I saw lying around like if it was blank like that would be my canvas for drawing it so sometimes I got in trouble but one of the earliest digital memories that I have is you know when we got the the very first personal computer like the 386 bit um and then I think the very first open source uh, drawing software was like called um paint or something yes and and I would draw like my dog pixel by pixel <laughs> you know I think that's that's as rudimentary as you get you draw things pixel yeah. by pixel <laughs> yeah that's so, amazing you know yeah that's that's what I did and I think, you know, to a certain extent, what I'm doing today is no different to what I was doing when I was like seven. Yeah, just the, uh, the, the, the perhaps the technology is a bit better. Right. Yeah. It, it gets us there faster, but, you know, in yeah. a way, like, what we think we see as being better is not necessarily what's going to be, you know, what we're going to see as better in another 10 years time. and. It mm. may get us there quicker, but it's not necessarily any better than what we produced ten years ago. Yeah, so. yeah, and and so so Alex, that's fascinating. I I had no idea that your parents were so autistic. Um, could you tell me a little bit more about where home was for you? In um, Auckland, New Zealand. Yeah. Um, which is a very very beautiful country, and um, I didn't know a lick of English when we arrived. I was 11 and I spent the first six months uh, wow. pretending to be mute. Um, I was listening the whole time. Yeah. I've always been a good listener and I think I just listened to how people spoke and what they did and like wow. observed and it drove my teacher crazy. Uh, <laughs> but I listened and listened and after six months, uh, I went into school one morning and I said, good morning. And I started speaking and think, you know, what part is at that age. Mm. And so you just adapt to whatever situation you're presented with. And, um, you know, moving from a monocultural society, which Korea was like, you know, every other person you meet is Korean. Yeah. Um, to a multicultural society where you have diversity of, you know, cultures, ethnicities and, mm you know, people with non-black hair uh, and non-brown eyes <laughs> um, was fascinating. And I think um, it's kind of shaped me into the person that I am today. Like, yes. I just appreciate that. Yes. Because I, you know, it's not something I take for granted. Like, I mm. know, um, you know, it's a privilege mm. to grow up in a, a culture that is very welcoming Yes. Of the other and, you know, people that um, move away. And I think New Zealand itself is a country of, um, you know, mig migrants, m much in the same way that U.S. is. But mm. in, in New Zealand, they're more, I think, progressive in yes. the way, like, they balance kind of the indigenous um, histories and values and integrating yes. that into um kind of the mainstream, mm -hmm. which I think prior to kind of the mid-1900s yes. um, used to be mostly yes. colonial history, but um, 
it's had good kind of history of you know Asian immigration and yes the European immigration and so it's it's just been really fascinating to kind of grow up in that environment where yeah. like you see so much diversity but everybody's like really happy with it and that's what makes us really interesting what kinds of things you were into mm-hmm. um any digital moments which you can remember I remember like when Google first came out <clears throat> yeah I was I was in a, a computer science class or you know whatever it was called back then like and um I don't know somebody said Google is the best search engine ever and this was like I don't know 2002 like when it first came out and something what is Google and I remember like not giving it a second thought um and I mean I, I can't really remember many other digital moments like that but I remember as like that as being one of kind of the earlier um moments and I, I mean I grew up kind of in that generation where, like um people had these giant brick phones um that in a matter of like a few years through high school, like I saw how like it progressed from being this giant big brick Alcatel <laughs> one touch yeah. to, <laughs> uh, you know, Motorola or, uh, you know, Rev, you know, the really slick, like thin square. And so the trend went from like huge phones to back to kind of, you know, whatever the smallest and slimmest phone you can get to, mm-hmm. you know, smart. I remember like holding my first smartphone um, in college and like, you know, now like phones are the size of the brick phones, like way as much, you know, as the first phones that came out. And so like, there seems to be like a circle yeah. in terms of how, you know, like fashion is always, you know, repeating itself. And I think it's been the same, like in the mm-hmm. technology technology and so that's always been I think that's always a good kind of reference point like when you know you you see kind of how designs evolve over time and people value different things but in the end like you go back to the basics yes because it needs to be built for human scale so if it becomes too small to be practical like it's going to be novel for a while, but people are going to revert back to whatever feels comfortable in a, a standard hand size. Yes. Yeah. And can you tell me around yeah. that time if you had any influences in your life who um, encouraged you to go into design, either at school or college? My sister, like, who was a few years older than me, and she went to a she she went on to study architecture. She wanted to study engineering like her like our dad. Yes. Dad said engineering is only for men and, <laughs> and so like, you know, she, she went into architecture school as a compromise and I was actually raised uh to be a doctor. I always got really good grades and um I I don't think I had it in me, unfortunately. So I I think I just intentionally didn't do very well at the finals. <laughs> I said, Mom, I didn't make the grade. <laughs> um, so I'm now going to go study architecture like my sister. And, um, and we had like a couple of years overlap, both yeah. during high school and at college. And so I always looked up to her. And um, like we had very different skill sets. Like she's a really good manager and she kind of, is very savvy on kind of the business side yes and whereas I've just 
always been a free spirit, um, always like to do things differently. And um, so when we, even though we both been into the same field, like we did very different things mm -hmm. and um, we spent about, you know, 10 years working together when, when we both graduated, when I founded a design uh, nonprofit called Architecture for Humanity yes. in Oakland. And so we were just always working in partnership. And I oh, think wow. um, That's amazing. eventually, like we wanted, we wanted to open our own practice together, yes. but it might still happen. Um, yeah. So I think she's still waiting for me. Once I get back, I don't know when that would be. Yeah. Uh, I love my job. Yeah. So, so tell, hard. tell me a little bit about what you studied in college and um, how you made the... Um, the leap from um, New Zealand to the US? Well, uh, I, I really am where I am today because of the exchange program oh. that I was part of. Um, and in, in New Zealand, um, everybody does what's called a big OE, overseas experience. Basically another way of saying like, a cheap and dirty backpacking around wherever you can afford to go. And yeah, so we had we each we had each like like we had a group of like eight friends and we had like saved um, I think about five thousand dollars over the year and then we just tried to see how far we could get us and then it took us to ten ten different cities in Western Europe and from there like I just fell in love with traveling. Yes and. Wanted, wanted to see if I can find a way to travel without compromising my academics. And so, you know, going on an exchange program <laughs> to UC Berkeley Architecture School was like my <laughs> uh, solution to that. And um, it totally changed my life and opened my eyes to kind of you know, social, uh, social factors yeah. in design and just looking at things uh, through the eyes of um, human human mm -hmm. values and human needs and mm -hmm. so um, prior to that like I always wanted to become like this famous architect you know like who builds these like very posh uh, skyscrapers and um, a year in Berkeley like just totally changed um, like the way I wanted to use my skills yes. and um, using it for the underprivileged and um, kind of brought me back to like uh, you know, my childhood years, like when I used, like, I, as I mentioned, like, I mm -hmm. always like to help people around me. Yes. And so that those two th things aligned um, in my year abroad at UC Berkeley, which was now like 13 years ago. Wow. Um, so I, I came back to New Zealand, um, graduated college and ran this service design agency which basically uh connected talented designers yes um with like underprivileged uh communities or like you know schools that don't have the means to like you know afford design or because design in in the construction realm still consider something that only like the top one percent of the population can afford and so mm. i wanted to really democratize like how we um offer design as like a service for the masses and yes um 
I just found different like ways of doing that. And when I couldn't do it um, through my first job, which was like at a corporate uh, architectural practice, I just went out on my own. I was like 22. Yes. Um, <laughs> and just started doing it. And then that's people amazing. turned around and said, hey, that's a really interesting idea. <laughs> at 22? So at 22, you were out on your own, running your own um, architecture practice of it was on kind of voluntary basis and so I would you know spend 40 hours a week uh, at my corporate job earning you know my you know livable wage yeah. and then I would spend most of that running this <laughs> a non-profit because I just really believed in it and yeah. when I was young and I had a lot of energy like I didn't want to just work 40 hours a week but in New Zealand like nobody works overtime mm-hmm. and so I had all this free time and I had all these like interesting people like who also you know after talking to them realized that's also what they wanted to do and so yeah. we just became this huge community of like-minded like you know design um do-gooders that wanted to do the same thing and um, when I went to the U.S. like they had already been running something like that for about five to ten years and so uh, New Zealand um I felt like was about ten years behind on this yeah. approach You've um, you've got your corporate job. You're running your uh, nonprofit on the side. How did you make the leap from um, uh, from New Zealand to the state or to San Francisco, particularly? And uh, what was it that attracted you to the Bay Area? I had very very busy twenties. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so my work uh, in the nonprofit uh, brought me back. Um, to my university, they wanted me to teach humanitarian architecture there because uh, no one else was doing it. And which which university was all, that at that point? This, this is the University of Auckland, so yes. the main, the biggest university in New Zealand, but also just like where I got my undergraduate degree. Yes, and so I was, you know, supervising master's students um, who wanted to write about homelessness or affordable housing, um, like, you know, um, prefabricated housing mm-hmm. to make it, you know, make design kind of go a bit further. Mm-hmm. And so because there was that interest, like it wasn't a lot of students, but there were enough students like who were um, socially minded that like my classes were in demand and um, I taught this taught various kind of classes on this topic and kind of brought a brought a lot of uh, what I learned um at UC Berkeley back to New Zealand that way but it also made me very self-conscious because I was mentoring students like who were graduating I you know only had a bachelor's at the time but they were graduating with master's and I kept being kind of made conscious of that by mm. the dean the dean of the school and like hey why don't you go and get a phd <laughs> yeah. and um at the time like my um my nonprofit was really taking off and like i really wanted to dedicate more time yeah um running it and i just like couldn't figure out a way to make it work financially mm. and so i um i quit my corporate job and um became a full-time student while still running the nonprofit because oh. I got really good scholarships 
Wow. Through the school, and so I, I was actually getting paid better as a student. My, mind you, architects don't get paid very much. Um, they still don't, but yeah. it's one of those professions that people really like look up to, and you know, mm. all the protagonists in like romantic movies, like <laughs> are architects by profession. It's so like you know, Brad Pitt and the A-list Hollywood stars are all like architects at one point, so <laughs> they get major, major like privilege of kind of being seen as this very cool professional hard to get paid like more than an architect because they're just not paid very much uh to start off with and um there's like always jokes about like you know within architectural community how they're so similar to prostitutes because you mm. just get used up so much and like you get paid very little in return no, i had no idea <laughs> wow you really opened um, eyes <laughs> so it wasn't it was really a no-brainer and I, I moved to the US in 2013 at the end of 2013 um, to do my postgrad um, at UC Berkeley so over the years like you know through my PhD like I kept going back to San Francisco because that's where the experts were and uh, people uh, that I wanted to learn from yeah um, we're all like in that very kind of small geographic region in the world. Like even I was doing field work in Haiti and India and, you know, other parts of the world, like all the experts were from there yes. for some reason. So it naturally attracted me to Bay Area and also my husband who was running a startup, of course, like wanted to open an office in the Silicon Valley. And so... We moved there and um, I wrote a book uh, based on my experience and um, PhD. That's right. Uh, that can, you, can you tell us what the name of the book is? Uh, the book is called um, Resilience by Design. And yes. It's published through Springer yes. International. And so they, I mean, it's an academic book, but yes. it talks about how you can use design thinking in kind of social crisis or mm. the context of social crisis and my lens of the social crisis was natural or natural disasters like earthquakes and hurricanes and floods but it could easily apply to kind of urban settings and kind of the non-disaster um, situations because our world's a mess and yeah I find like a lot of the things that I learned in the context of disaster it's uh, made more visible because mm all of the systems um, are broken and the infrastructure is broken and your government's not functioning. And how is that any different to how it is um, today in some parts of the world, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so, <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I guess I was just <laughs> in the right place at the right time yeah. to be studying that. And I, you know, um, and in part I, I did, did that uh, because I was so embedded and communities mm. and what like they were experiencing and mm. a lot of the challenges they were experiencing were even more amplified um in disasters so yes um yeah so I learned a lot from that experience mm. and uh after that I wanted to actually become an academic but um there's not girls that hire disaster professionals <laughs> so we met about a year ago 
through an AMA session on UX mastery. And mm-hmm. I think you were you were yeah. considering making the transition from being an architect into user experience design or research. And could you tell me about what was kind of fueling that desire to make a career change? I think it's because I always make a joke out of it when people ask me this because um, I guess I'm still relatively new. Like mm. I wouldn't say I was doing UX all my life, but in some mm. ways I, I was because I was in design and in architecture, which kind of deals with three-dimensionality of things. Yes. But I I mean, I think, you know, in, in design, like if you're a designer and you live in the Bay Area, the chances are you are a user experience designer. Yeah. <laughs> Much in the same way that like if you're a statistician yeah. and you live in the Bay Area, you're a data scientist. <laughs> so yeah. um, in a way, yeah. like it was a new field. And I, I was just very curious because I was always looking to see like how I can use design um, for good. And I, really in, in tech, I saw an opportunity to scale the work that I do and so if I were to kind of become more literate or conversant or mm. you know have some mastery of the the jargons and the you know techniques that are used in tech yes. for design mm. I saw huge opportunities to make that make my kind of career goals like into reality so yeah so I was actually part of also this um small uh, group um, which kind of introduced mothers into tech called Mother Coders. You know, at the time I was, you know, I I had a 10-month-old. I'd been staying home, like, after I published my book. Mm. Um, So the book book was published when he was three months old. So I had about six months to think about, like, what my next steps were going to be. And I wasn't going to come back into architecture because I felt like I plateaued in my mm. profession mm. and so I decided to kind of look around and I saw like user experience um, design and research being a really really hot um, career yes in the Bay Area so, yes. so I just kind of looked around and say, said what is this about and um, what do they do mm. um, in the day-to-day and you know what are what are they working towards and I got really excited uh, is kind of I learned more about about it and so um, I did kind of an introductory thing with uh, mother coders which taught me um, how to program yes kind of front-end programming Mm. html css and there must be more there must be more so yeah I I got into it in the first place because I wanted to know more about ux and yeah um I got a good kind of basic understanding. Mm-hmm. We had kind of a UX professional come into our classes to kind of uh, let us know what she does on a day-to-day basis. And to me, mm-hmm. like, it was no different to how, like, I studied design and how I was applying design. And in some mm-hmm. ways, like, architecture is way more advanced. Like, it's one, it's one of the yes. oldest professions in the world. And mm-hmm. I think that's why there's another comparison with the architecture and prostitution is that they're two oldest professional world. <laughs> In, in the man's history, <laughs> we've always had to build something. I think that got me into design and um, I was just looking around in different communities and I was really inspired mm. by by the Q&A session with you. And so I 
um, followed you and said, "Hey, can I, can I be your mentee?" <laughs> and you said yes. Yeah, it was easy to work with you because of your design background. You have a PhD as well. You were um, willing to put in the work, and I think that's the main thing. So we know that just landing a job in UX in the Bay Area even if you've been studying another area of design, isn't easy. What I was really uh, excited to be able to do was to give you a framework which you could use um, day to day in helping you pitch your existing skills um, into a new role. So perhaps you could tell our listeners maybe some of the jobs you applied for, some of the ones you didn't get, and then the one you eventually did get and how, how how you went from basic html website to a um really fabulous portfolio and the amazing job that you've got at the moment the process is never easy when you're transitioning from one career um yeah you spend most of your life building and you know leaping into something that's you know totally unknown even though it may be familiar and there are some overlaps and kind of the skill sets that you might use in your day-to-day and so um I applied to a lot of jobs and Mm. um I think before uh I got this job like I was quite actively working as a as a freelancer I consider those 12 months like a learning period yes you really threw yourself into it one of the stories that I remember um and you know, being a mom, I I can totally relate to this. You you had an interview. I think your little boy had a fever. Do you remember that day? Yeah, I mean, he was sick a lot in the first year too. Yeah. So, so you had that to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, I seem to remember you coming in from like a nappy session. He hadn't been very well, and you were said, you know, from like kind of the neck down, you were covered in poo. But it didn't matter because all oh they could see, yeah. all they could see in the interview on Skype was, you know, your head and shoulders. So the rest didn't my matter. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, he was. He had like a no. <laughs> poop explosion. Yeah, um, that's it. Is the word I use. Uh, you know, which comes with territory of looking after an infant, and I had um, yeah. a video screen with a company that I ended up kind of being a finalist for and they extended the job offer uh, to me um, for kind of the senior, I think it was the senior UX research position. Yes. With the, with an insurance company. Yes. Um, and the South San Francisco. And this is kind of a time when everything came together. And, mm. um, you know, I, I use every experience that I have as like a learning experience. And mm. so when I get rejected, like I don't, I don't, it doesn't face me. I just think of it as, oh, I could have done this better or maybe I could do that differently. Yeah, that's and so, so important. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I was able to grow so much uh, in those 12 months because I was so open to learning and doing things by trial and error. And um, I think right around the time that uh, I got the offer for the job that I'm in now like I had uh, two other job offers and I was like interviewing at like a handful of other companies too yes um to the point where like uh everyone that I talked to like just wanted to hire me yes yeah. I had I guess I had 
like in their eyes all the right experience and um the kind of attitudes they need to fill mm. the positions they wanted me in for and so um one of I think the most valuable you've been so instrumental in getting me to where I am and it was mm. a lot to do with like how you were able to decode like a lot of industry speak and yeah um, presenting our best selves to potential, you know, colleagues yes. by saying, I have all this experience and even though they're not directly applicable, these are the ways in which these are relevant to become a highly functioning person in this role. To all the people that kind of were able to see that, would you know, you would have to kind of get past the screener, yes. of course, like kind of say all the right things to you know, get past the person who doesn't actually wouldn't actually be working with you but once I got into the room whether it's by phone or like in person like I think a lot of people realize what value I would bring because of the experiences I've had more than say like other candidates that have been in the same industry for the same amount of time because I, I bring the kind of experience that they need to be more innovative or to be more customer centric or to be more productive and mm. how they work and so would you like to tell our listeners, uh, where you're working and, and where you got your dream job? Um, so in the Bay Area, it's all about your network. Yeah. And so I actually got this job by kind of an introduction from a friend that she, um, the CEO of Mother Coders, uh, Tina, she introduced me to Kieran, who is the city of Oakland's chief resilience officer, and they've been friends for a very long time. And like, you know, even before I uh, started working with Tina, like mm. the first day Tina saw me, she said, I need to introduce you to Kieran. And I had no idea what she was talking about. Yeah. And this was maybe like six months after she followed up again oh. and said, I still haven't introduced you to her. Like, let's go, you know, let's, let's, you know, go have coffee together. And so um, this was like right around the time I was like, you know, getting offers from other yes. companies, like big tech firms. Yes. Um, and I um, I just went to have a coffee, see what they were doing. Yes. It was interesting. Like they were doing a lot of interesting work um, from what I can see, what little information that was out there. And so within five minutes of sitting down, uh, she said, I need you to work for us. And Amazing. I need you to teach, um, teach, bureaucrats how to design amazing <laughs> and so this was like a coffee chat but like she gave me an offer within five minutes and so it was the shortest interview I've ever had yes um and uh well it didn't the position didn't pay very well either um mm. because they were just getting like started mm. and the funding was just coming through and they didn't have all of the pieces in place but I told her straight up, I said, Karen, I have a child. So, you know, I have responsibilities and yeah. the salary is not going to get me um, to sustainability. And so I have these competing offers and as much as I would love to work for you, like yes. I have to put my family first. Yeah. And she, she asked me like, so how much are they offering? And I was like, are you serious? Like you can't even compete. Like you're paying one, like your offering is like, a fourth of what um, my market value is. Mm. And the same day she came back 
to me and matched it. Wow. And, and so I was blown away. Wow. It turned out to be my dream job. So, so I'm working as the creative director of uh, City of Auckland's Civic Design Lab. Yes. Which is kind of the main implementing engine for the resilient Oakland um, strategy that the, commu- the local communities have worked on over like a three-year period. So it's a community-based and community-led uh, initiative mm-hmm. on how to be more sustainable, like yes. at you know, different levels, like housing, infrastructure, governance, um, and community engagement. And the Civic Design Lab is uh, situated with the City Hall in mm-hmm. Oakland, and they basically work with departmental staff, like city staff, yes. uh, to implement this with community support and so I do a lot of user research on kind of daily weekly basis I run a lot of uh, workshops which require facilitation and modified form of uh, design sprint Mm -hmm. and last month I was invited to uh, sit on a panel for the for Google's inaugural design sprint conference uh, to talk about my work and that was really amazing wow congratulations That's fantastic. So could you tell our listeners perhaps where they can get hold of you if they want to reach out to you? Mm-hmm. Um, you can send me an email at alexandra at uh, civicdesignlab.org. Okay. Uh, and I'm sure Louise will make that available. That's fantastic. Link to your podcast. And do you have a website where our listeners can also check out your work? It's um, the same, the civicdesignlab.org okay um, pointstar website we're going to be launching publicly late january yes uh so um we'll have to see i'm still figuring out like when would be appropriate i think we're waiting um waiting to do some like uh staff training first yeah before we launch um and it will definitely be out sort of late, late jan so maybe wait uh, wait until then to check it out but it's it's awesome um it kind of talks a lot in more depth about who we are and what we're doing fantastic and what we've already done to date fantastic mm-hmm. i can't wait to see that alex thanks so much for talking to us today um i've got one final question and that is if you were on the first trip to mars um who or what what three things would you take with you I have to. I'll have to take my family. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. My husband. Yeah. And my son. And the third thing would be the Moana Disney figurine because my son has been listening to <laughs> the Moana soundtrack for eight weeks straight, <laughs> and he doesn't go to sleep without his Moana toy. So really? I know we can't survive a day on uh, Mars without that, so That's we need really to take funny. it with us. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> Oh, well, thanks for sharing that with me. And it's been really great to talk to you today. Well, thank you. Thank you. If you're interested in learning how to build a powerful UX research or design portfolio, I'm offering free workshops. If you pop over to my website, upskillmastery.com, you can join me for free trainings where I'll show you exactly how I took the steps to get interviews and get hired. I'm going to show you how you can go from no UX job offers to hired in 26 days. 
With an average salary offer of $71,000, it's not something you want to miss. This will work for you even if you've taken an expensive online UX training course and haven't gotten very far with that. Even if you have a portfolio already with no results displayed in it, I can show you how to position it. Even if you've applied endlessly via online application forms and heard nothing back. Even if you think UX employers only hire PhDs and UX masters and you're not a UX master yet. So pop over to upskillmastery.com, sign up for my newsletter and I'll make sure that you get your spot on how to get hired in 26 days. Thanks so much for joining me for this week's show. My next show is in two weeks time. And in the meantime, I want you to keep your feet on the ground, but keep reaching for the stars.